back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach, and joined, as always, by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners, no matter what day or time you are listening to this. This week, time doesn't really count. It's it's different. It's just there's football, there's NFL, there's food, there's food comas, there's naps, there's all of the above. Chris, I'm extremely excited. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. What is what is the number one food item that you will be going for on Thursday? Uh, food item. I so I, I'm gonna be I'm in Indianapolis with the wife's family, and there's they don't really do Thanksgiving the typical way. It's kind of spread out over a few days. But when I was a kid, I don't know why. When I was a kid, I loved the the Jello jigglers. You ever had those or like the square jello pieces? We used to have those always at Thanksgiving growing up. So you'd get your turkey, you'd get, you know, your corn and everything else. But I always had to grab a couple pieces of like jiggly jello, whatever reason. And I can always, that's always just in my head when I think of Thanksgiving. I remember being in elementary school and someone being like, oh, did you ever hear what's in jello? And just never eating it after that. About just Don't like tell the- me. Okay. I'm, ju- I'm just saying like it was alarming to hear <laughs> as a child. My go-to uh, so, so the, the most popular side dish at our Thanksgiving, and I'll be in New Jersey with, with my family is a corn souffle. And we are going to have to make two. My mom is already texting me about this because it always goes fast. It's just, it's like cream corn. It's just like really fluffy cornbread mix. And it's just, it's delicious. Um, and then our go-to app is my mom's pepperoni bread, which is also very, very oh, popular, yes. but that is more of a year round staple, but we obviously also have to have it. Um, so please tweet us, send us pics. You guys know how much I love cooking and how much I love food. So we'd love to see your favorite Thanksgiving dishes. Um, and if you would like to hear about Scott Dockerman's and Ari Wasserman's and Andy Staples, and if you want to have a conversation about cottage cheese again, for some reason, this is very scarring for me personally, uh, you can check out their pod also on the feed this week where they dive into Thanksgiving side dishes a little bit further. There will be a plethora of pods this week, looking at the games, rivalry week, so much at stake. Uh, so make sure to check it out. Subscribe to the the, the feed, rate, review us. Um, Chris and I will be back, you know, on a normal schedule again next week. So, you know, be sure to hang with us for Power Hour as well. But before we get to the games and everything else that is at stake, I'm excited to bring you to today's episode of power hour we will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less it is the, it is a holiday week time does not matter it's five o'clock somewhere you could just grab a cold one if any of our topics get you a little thirsty feel free to participate we always start with the power five which is in true power hour fashion we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds and it's time to move on to the next chris i will let you get us started on the power five this week Number one, some heartbreaking news. EA Sports College Football, the return of the video game, will happen in summer 2024. That is one year later than the original hope of July 2023, which was the original plan. Uh, Our friend Matt Brown broke the news on Extra Points on Monday night. EA Sports confirmed it on Tuesday. Uh, They were were sure not to call it a delay, because they had never actually announced when the game was coming out. But uh, documents sent to schools, various reporting that Matt's done, that I've done, is that they were all planning on 2023. Instead, it'll be 2024. 
And the reason behind that is just basically it takes a lot of work to make a video game. And there's a lot of stuff that has to be put in. They're making a completely new game. They're not just reskinning an old NCAA football or an old Madden. There's a lot to put into this. Uh, someone I talked to around the game said this is uh, 100% the right decision. They think it'll make it a better game ultimately in the end. But I know a lot of people are upset. I still don't have a PS5. I was going to get a PS5 specifically to play this game. Now I guess I can can wait another year. Yes, this is all about you personally. So that makes sense. It's tough. Nicole, did you ever play the game? No, not like I didn't own it. I didn't. Um, I wasn't a big video game person. Like I have played it at a friend's house, but I, not in the same way that I'm sure for you and for some of our other friends who like this is what made you guys love college football. So I, yeah. I do understand. And it is a bummer. You know, everyone got their hopes up and, you know, was was really hoping that this thing would come back. It's been one of the big casualties of um, the delay into getting NIL done, right, was that this was part of the lawsuits that got us eventually to here where athletes can get some, some money in their pocket, uh, but the game had to go away because people were concerned about that. So it's a bummer um, and continue to follow your reporting and our pal Matt Brown's reporting about all of that. Number two, switching gears to the Heisman race, which has felt very wide open this year. Um, you know, we do the straw poll over at The Athletic, and it's very knee-jerk reactionary. Like, I'll admit that. Like, we – because it's we're doing it week to week. We start at the early season, so it's just kind of like, all right, who's impressed us this week? And Caleb Williams has been in the straw poll. Like, people have been voting for him. He's been getting votes. But he took the lead – pretty commandingly he got 33 first place votes ahead of CJ Stroud who got four he's second place by a good margin Max Duggan third followed by Blake Corum and then Hendon Hooker and it feels like and I don't know if it's like Caleb Williams Heisman to lose but certainly a lot of eyeballs were on that game against USC he had 503 total yards of offense himself I don't know if it's like one individual moment the game certainly could be a Heisman moment for him but USC is going to have two more big opportunities their their marquee games were all at the end of the year and they're alive in the playoff race and they need to win them so people are going to be watching against Notre Dame people are going to be watching him in the Pac-12 championship game it certainly feels like Caleb Williams has a really good chance to win the Heisman trophy this year yeah like you know Caleb Williams was high on this poll early in the season when USC got off to a quicker start than we all thought. And then they lost to Utah and we all kind a lot of people kind of just didn't pay attention to them because they didn't play many big games. They were always playing late. So they just, they weren't a point of attention until the big UCLA game last week. Everybody was paying attention to that game and he had an unreal performance. And so he moves over, takes the number one spot. CJ Stroud is number two, but you know, our, our Ari Wasserman's of the belief that if CJ Stroud has a big game against Michigan, he is going to win the Heisman. I, I think that's very possible because there, there's only one big game left there. Caleb Williams still has to beat Notre Dame, still has to beat whoever in the Pac-12 championship game to probably win this Heisman. CJ Stroud has been winning our poll for a while and has been the betting favorite for a long time. And I didn't quite get it. He, his numbers are good, but he hasn't like, he hadn't really like, taken over and won a game really on his own that was all that notable but if you do that against Michigan a number two versus number three then then you know he'll take over number one I think at that point yeah absolutely I think that's a great point to make and 
partially why like okay is it open is it not if it's is it cj Strauss to lose well you're gonna have a marquee game at the end that everyone's gonna watch the game in the performance in it got aiden hutchinson to new york last year so you've got blake quorum and and cj stroud playing in that game see you know uh caleb williams is gonna have his opportunities down the stretch i would love to see max duggan get a trip to new york I would love to see yes. Hendon Hooker get some consideration, even with the season-ending injury. I would love to see Bo Nix get some consideration, even though Oregon is not playing for the college football playoffs. So there's a lot of individual players, I think, that are still in the mix there. But it does feel like there's going to be these big opportunities for a CJ Stroud to go out there and and take it. And um, you know, for those of us who stay up until 2 a.m. every single week, and I, you know, I do an overnight top 10 on, on Saturday nights. I've been watching a lot of USC. And so like what Caleb Williams did was, was great, but not surprising. Like he's been doing this, but they have had a lot of games that have been really late. And so I think that this was the introduction for maybe a lot of voters on the East coast to what Caleb Williams does. That makes him special. The types of passes he makes that no one else can. So we'll see, we'll see how this goes. It's definitely more interesting than it is in typical years where it feels like someone's got it wrapped up with a couple weeks left. Yeah, feels like a two-person race, but you never know. There's some big games, some big quarterbacks still with some big games. Number three, you just mentioned it, Hendon Hooker, the Tennessee quarterback, torn ACL, ends his season, ends his Tennessee career as a uh, sixth-year player. Just terrible news to see. It was a non-contact play against South Carolina in the loss on Saturday. Went down, looked bad immediately. He was able to walk off at the time, but you kind of feared for the worst. That news was confirmed uh, the next day. And yeah, just, just you know, Hendon Hooker. He's someone I had number one, number two in my Heisman up until this week, basically. And I, you know, Josh Heupel made the case that he should be invited to New York still. And, you know, you hope he gets that for them, but yeah, just really brutal news for a really, really fun player who more than anybody deserves the credit for Tennessee's turnaround this year. Yeah. I think we've, we've all kind of put it this way, but like, no, Tennessee is not going to play for an SEC title. No, Tennessee is not going to be in the college football playoff. But Hendon Hooker is a vol legend. I mean, what he did for this program at this particular juncture cannot be overstated. It was a remarkable season, and it's exactly where Tennessee wants to be, where you can beat Alabama, where you can have these electrifying atmospheres. And Hendon Hooker was a huge part of that. So just an absolute massive bummer. Um, but I, hopefully he does get his flowers and people do acknowledge, you know, the special season that he had real quick, get this at Tennessee hooker had 58 touchdown passes, five interceptions. That is unreal. Dude was balling out. Number four, Mark Stoops signed an extension through 2031. And I want to get your thoughts on this because it was very strange how the news came out. Um, it basically came out because of uh, records requests from local reporters. And what they found in there was that they had a press release ready. It was signed before the Vanderbilt loss and it was never announced. So the, the money goes up like it will be making nine million dollars a year um, with a buyout starting at four and a half million. But it was just very weird the way that it came out. And I still don't think does, has the school acknowledged it since. Uh, at the moment we're recording, I don't think, I don't so, think so, unless I miss something. But yeah, this, this came out. It's not even like so Tennessee. Some some schools have all their contracts out just on a website, so like anybody can go get to them, so they don't have to deal with a million requests and go find the files every time. They just they put them all up, and so people 
can go find them. And people noticed, I think on Sunday, at least that's when I, I first saw it, is that Tennessee just put this contract up there. And it's a big raise. He's going you from mean, like... You mean Kentucky, not Tennessee. Yes, Kentucky, sorry. It, it, it's a big raise going from like around $6.5 million to $9 million a year now. Mark Stoops is joining that $9 million club. And it was signed November uh, 11th. They never announced it, never said anything. Well, November 11th was the day before Kentucky lost to Vanderbilt. So you're probably not going to want to announce it right after that. And then you've got Georgia the next week, which they lost. But they were competitive in that. So very strange situation the way it played out. Uh, Mark Stoops now makes more money, slightly more, than John Calipari. So I guess Kentucky is officially a football school. So congrats to to that. And uh would also give you a sense of Mark Soups can probably also send a thank you to uh, Nebraska uh, where he was kind of in the mix to be the head coach. And now he's sticking at Kentucky, the job that Andy Staples believes is the best job in the country. And look, if you're making $9 million and you only got to win seven or eight games a year, it's a pretty good case to be made for the best job in the country. Number five, speaking of jobs, uh, the Wisconsin job probably going to be filled pretty soon here. On uh, over the weekend, the job was posted officially online and through basically state laws, it has to be posted online for a week before it can be filled. So the fact that it has been posted means it's probably about to be filled. And all signs point now to Jim Leonard, uh, the defense coordinator promoted to interim head coach, who's done an okay job, I think, in this role. Um, Wisconsin is bowl eligible, so he did turned the ship around, kind of had to come back to beat Nebraska 15-14 to 14 on Saturday. They lost to Iowa pretty handily the week before. Um, ultimately, looks like this is going to be Jim Leonard's job. Uh, Nicole, what do, what do you think about this and kind of how the last few weeks have played out for Wisconsin and how we got here? Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting stretch because I, I don't think Wisconsin would have made the shocking move to get rid of Paul Crist when it did early to mid season, if you didn't have a candidate that you actually wanted to audition, right. That you really wanted to try out and you wanted to see how they handled this stuff. Um, the, the, everything beyond the coaching, the, the, all the CEO type roles that you have to take on as a head coach in 2022. Um, but we do know that Wisconsin also did hire a search firm and like the, the, the whole thinking all along was to do a small national search and that it wasn't a foregone conclusion that it was going to go to Jim Leonard. But again, like when you have a strong internal candidate and you decide that that is someone you want to look at, it makes sense to actually give them some runway and, and see what you learn. It was not, it was not pretty. It was actually rather ugly and difficult to beat Nebraska to get bowl eligible, but clearly that triggered something. I mean, that's when the job was posted. The po job was posted Saturday night after becoming bowl eligible. Yes, and Wisconsin still has a game to play, a Minnesota team that is pretty good. And I don't know, if, if you lose that game, he goes four and three as the interim coach. Is that enough? Is that enough to get the people excited? I mean, I mean the other possibility is that, you know, the season's about to end, so they wanted to post it now to make sure they could make the hire as soon as the season ends. But the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and our Jesse Temple have reported that all signs right now point to it. Uh, being Jim Leonard. So that would be the second job filled on this coaching carousel. And just one one last quick thought on that. Um, it, it's a little strange to, to have made a midseason firing and then 
decide to promote someone from within from that staff when you felt like it wasn't going in the direction that it was. Um, but Wisconsin also has a very clear identity. And so the idea of having that continuity or still wanting to have a certain identity that the previous coach, Paul Christ had makes some sense, but that is just strange because you would think that the staff that was part of whatever wasn't good enough would not have the candidate and the person that you wanted to be the next head coach. So there's a lot of interesting things tied to that one. We're rated to see exactly what ends up happening and who gets that full-time position. Obviously we'll also start as we get to the end of the season, we'll also start to see some of these other big jobs that have been open all season start to fill up with sitting head coaches who are wrapping up their seasons as well. Uh, moving on to happy hour. This is the part of the show where we celebrate something, talk about something we love to see, or just generally positive vibes. And the positive vibes this week are pretty obvious. I mean, it's rivalry week. It is the best week of the season in college football. And, you know, I went to Michigan, which everyone knows who listens to this. So for me to get to watch a Michigan-Ohio State game where both teams are undefeated when they're playing for a Big Ten title, it's a trip to a Big Ten championship game, but where whoever wins will be a heavy favorite, you know, a chance to, to play for a college football playoff spot. The stakes are so high. It's it's the biggest game since 06, the one versus two game. I, I just love I love to see it. I know both teams, <laughs> they, they really struggled. They had to pull it out last week to set this up. Um, both teams have some concerns and some questions, some health issues, but they did it. They got here. The collision course is finally here, and these two teams are going to be undefeated. So I can't wait for that game in all the rivalry games this weekend. I'm just so happy that we made it to rivalry week. It's the best week of the year. You know, I, I kept thinking all year, it felt like Michigan was going to win this game again. Look, Ohio State made a lot of changes specifically because of what went wrong against Michigan last year. They bring in a new defensive coordinator, Tim Knowles. They're trying to run the ball a lot more. They, got, they have to be tougher. They have to win in the trenches, which they didn't do last year. And for most of the season, I'm thinking Michigan looks really good in the trenches again. Ohio State's struggling to run the ball against some teams. It feels like Michigan's year again. And then Blake Corum gets injured against Illinois. And Donovan Edwards has been banged up as well. And suddenly, I'm wondering how well Michigan could be able, could run the ball in this game. I also have not been very impressed with J.J. McCarthy this year. He's He's largely been a game manager type of role, and he's done that well. But I don't know if you can win the game with him passing the ball if you need to. The flip side is, again, can Ohio State run the ball if it needs to? The weather looks like it's going to be pretty cold. Perhaps some flurries around Ohio Stadium for this. So that's that's the big question. Is, is, is Blake Corum healthy? He goes out of the game against Illinois, comes back, but only played, I think, a player or two before he went back. So... Yeah, I, I mean, Nicole, you don't have to make a pick here. I know you're, you're probably doing that later, but what's your biggest question? What's the thing you're watching most for this game? Well, I think, you know, you just kind of outlined it really well. You know, in a lot of ways and a lot of times this season, Michigan's been very one-dimensional. And what happens when Blake Corum is not 100%? You know, I think we all expect him to play. You know, people are going to play through injuries and be banged up or whatever because you want to play in this game. Um, but I, I do think that it, it, you feel, I felt better about this game from a Michigan perspective a few weeks ago 
when, you know, they were starting to convert and, and, and get touchdowns in the red zone. And they were doing some things that, that felt like they were addressing their concerns, which was J.J. McCarthy, the, the vertical passing game, stretching the field, et cetera, et cetera. And now, you know, you, you just have a lot of questions off that. He's just not been throwing the ball well. The receivers are not catching it. They're not getting separation. Uh, and, and so, you know, what, what does that mean then if Blake Corum, who's been this workhorse for your team, isn't 100%? Like, that, those are big concerns. And, and certainly the way that they won the game last year was running the ball down Ohio State's throats and winning at the line of scrimmage and doing all of that. But y- you also, you know, you had running backs who who could who could bear that load and you know again donovan edwards who knows he's also been involved you know in the passing game out of the backfield as well for ohio state you know we've seen different running backs pop in and out dallin hayden i mean really impressive performance and he might be the answer in terms of like you know when you need to run the ball between the tackles and the other team knows you need to run the ball and you know you need to run the ball and like he can do it maybe that might be the answer because they haven't really had that. They've had a number of injuries as well to both of their star running backs. So that's still a question. So it's it's interesting because I don't feel like either of these teams actually like solved their problems that we've been nitpicking yeah. them about all season. Yeah. So you just it's hard to get a sense of this game. I, I think, you know, the line's like around seven and a half or something like that. Like I, I would take Michigan plus the points. I don't know who's going to win, but I just think it'll be close. Um you know, uh, so I, I, I don't have a good feel for it. I, I don't have a good feel for it. It's still kind of early in the week, so I'm not going to box myself into a pick necessarily just yet. But I, I do think I'm probably at this point leading towards Ohio State. They're at home. This game is at home there for the first time in four years. And with the Blake Corum injury and Donovan Edwards lack of availability that's just that's that that could be really really problematic for Michigan although I think the weather forecast is potentially going to favor Michigan here it may not be the world's best weather so you know a team that's more comfortable on the ground um you know they they, they may have a better chance here but what what other rivalry games do you have your eye on I mean I know you're going to watch all of them but which ones are you most excited for this is this is the wor- this is the worst part of the final weekend of the season is that there are so many good games on at one time. I understand why we do it rivalry, but I kind of wish we could spread some of this out more. I mean, I'll pick a couple here. Then you tell me a couple, but USC Notre Dame. I mean, we just talked about Caleb Williams coming into the season. We did not think much of this game. And then especially after Notre Dame's start to the season, but suddenly this is a team that could finish the season with 10 wins after, after that dreadful start. USC is playing for its playoff lives, uh, playoff life, I guess. And, that game is always interesting with all that history. And then my Thanksgiving tradition is the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. Plenty of uh, backstory to that one. We, we remember the, the fake dog peeing a number of years ago that changed the course of college football history. And now this year we've got Lane Kiffin, uh, who is responding to uh, apparent erroneous reports about his future um, one never to shy away from this kind of stuff, but it kind of adds another layer of intrigue or not, whether or not he is going to become the next head coach at Auburn. But I'm really glad we have that game on, on Thursday night. It's the Detroit Lions in the morning. It's the Cowboys in the afternoon. It's the Egg Bowl at night. I don't want to hear anything else about that. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to be fighting that battle in my family's Thanksgiving. I I grew up in central New Jersey, very pro sports 
area. It is a battle to try to get college football on, to get the Egg Bowl on. I did get them to have the Egg Bowl on, and we did see the P live, thankfully, <laughs> but the fake P. But yeah. it is a challenge. And so, like, it was even hard when I was covering college basketball primarily to try to get them put college basketball games on. Oh, my God, it was an uphill battle. I was watching those games on my phone or in the basement. So I will be fighting the good fight. We know that there will be a lot of people listening who are also going to be fighting the good fight. You don't have to watch the Patriots. You you do not have to do it. You what can, what, you what even people. is the game? Patriots versus who? I don't remember. They got somebody. They're playing somebody. It's the Patriots. Yeah, it's uh, They're playing but, the Vikings. Patriot Vikings. Yeah, you don't need to watch that. Plus, we've also got Iowa, Nebraska in the afternoon. And Iowa, <laughs> miraculously, you're talking about like where Notre Dame season may end up from where it started and from some of the lows of the Marshall loss and the Stanford loss. How about Iowa? If they beat Nebraska, they go to the Big Ten championship game, despite for a good portion of the season having the worst offense in the country. That is becoming my one of my favorite Black Friday traditions is watching just an ugly but heated and hated Iowa-Nebraska game. Although this year is a bit different. Every year you wonder if Scott Frost can write the ship. This year there's none of that. This year Iowa's the team that comes in with the attention and the pressure, which is wild. Iowa's favored by 10.5 in this game, and the line's only 38.5. So people do not feel good about uh, Iowa in that one. But there's also South Carolina-Clemson. You know, after that 63-point performance, what is South Carolina going to do? Could they knock off Clemson, who hasn't been very good? Uh, there's the Oregon, Oregon State Civil War game. Uh, we got a couple of teams playing for bowl eligibility. App State, Georgia Southern. That's a rivalry game. Tulane, Cincinnati. Winner goes to the AAC championship. You know, uh, for... you know, I, I've got a couple. Can I jump in? I yeah. A couple that I'm actually super excited for involving ACC teams because I think we've kind of overlooked a lot of teams in the ACC throughout the season, in part because of you know where the league is in the playoff conversation. Florida State, Florida. Super excited for that game. I mean, we've seen Mike Norvell's program really take a lot of steps. I think it's going to be close, but like that team is trending in the right direction. That program is trending in the right direction. And Florida hopes were high in the beginning of the season. And then they are just not where they want to be. With with Florida, I mean, like Billy Napier, like set the expectations low. Like this was not going to be a big year. It's going to be a rebuild. And I think everybody was kind of on board with that until you lost to Vanderbilt last week. That changes things. Now there's pressure on you going into this game. Yeah, and it'd be good to win it. It'd be good to win it. Another one that's that's suddenly a lot more interesting than it was a week ago is Clemson, South Carolina, because we mm-hmm. saw Spencer Rattler play the best that he has ever played. I mean, like this is when you, you know, he comes into college and there's all this hype and there's all these expectations. Like it's that type of performance that you're expecting to see. Can he replicate that could South Carolina take knock Tennessee out of the playoff and then knock Clemson out of the playoff for sure? We'll see. Yeah, there, there, there's so many storylines going on. And look, these games will honestly mean even more when we have a 12-team playoff. Again, like I know it kind of goes back and forth on does Michigan, Ohio State mean less or more? I, you're gonna You're going to have more games that have more on the line, I think, in the expanded playoff in a few years. And We will uh, see that then, but absolutely loaded slate. Final big weekend of college football season, and it's going to go on a good note. Yes, everybody enjoy it through your food comas and and leftovers. Uh, We got a lot of big games. Time to move on to On the Rocks. This is our segment where we talk it out. There is friction somewhere in the sport, and we are here to help work through it. 
the first Rocky relationship we're going to talk about, because I know we want to preview the coaching carousel since it's about to uh, pick up again and really get started filling some of these jobs. Let's talk about Lane Kiffin and what happened on Twitter on Monday night. Uh, so, so Chris, I'll let you set this up because I didn't watch it unfold in real time. I'm sure that you did when there was the stretch where people were like, oh, is this actually happening? A local TV reporter reporting something. So walk me through finding that news out. And then when the troll, the, the king, the, he, he thinks he's the portal king. He's also like the troll king. Lane Kiffin jumps into the kerfuffle. Yeah, so a, a TV reporter from, from outside of Starkville tweets that uh, Lane Kiffin plans to step down as Ole Miss head coach Friday after the Egg Bowl and head to Auburn to become the next Auburn head coach, according to sources. Uh, sources also said Auburn hasn't officially offered the job yet, but it's happening, whatever that means. Lane Kiffin quote tweets, as he is wont to do, says, that's news to me, John. Nice sources. He then follows up. Yeah, 40 minutes later with a uh, with it with a press release of some kind that he looks like he printed out, took a picture of that said that reporter who had uh, issued that report planned to step down uh, and take a job with WLOX. Sources say the job hasn't been offered yet, but the anchor leaving to the other job is happening story soon. So a nice little way to like throw it back in in someone's face about a, a report like that very weird situation i know during coach carousel season there's a lot of stuff that's out there that is largely not true uh my my advice is always you generally know who to trust on these things and if you don't know who this person is they're probably not breaking the news that said i don't think this means one way or another whether or not lane kiffin is taking the offer job <laughs> but lane kiffin is uh, never one to shy away from something being said about him. He always leans into the skid, so to speak. And we got some more uh, fun drama on Monday night. I feel like the one thing he can't do now is take the Auburn job on Friday. That is the one thing he can't do. <laughs> he could take it eventually, and you could say, like, okay, that's what he's saying. Like, the sources are wrong. But he can't do it on Friday, the day after the Egg Bowl, the day before the Iron Bowl, which also would not be ideal. Like, I, that would not be the time that Auburn would want that job. She would, would want any of that to leak. Cadillac Williams is going to coach in the Iron Bowl. Right, they, exactly. They, they yes. do not want that. Yes. But, yeah, that it, like, if he goes to Auburn, I mean, I think everyone would kind of understand that. I don't think this, this is him denying that that is a possibility. But very fun, lighthearted moment. Lane Kiffin has never met a tweet that he would not respond to. Yes. And I mean, don't, don't forget he, he, the report of him going to Ole Miss from FAU happened. If I recall correctly, basically the second FAU won the championship. Yes. I <laughs> believe that that was true. So that was clearly a, that was clearly a done deal at the time before they won the conference CSA championship. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. We'll get into the coaching carousel in a minute later, but with, with Auburn, Lane is the is the name you hear around everywhere from people around the industry of being a top target. You also hear Hugh Freeze's name and those two above all the others. There are other names that come in and out, but uh, those two are the ones that, that get it done. And you know, Auburn's the best job on the market, at least right now. It's a place you can win a, win a national championship and has done so. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to get many big moves like we did last year, like Lincoln Riley, like Brian Kelly and that kind of stuff. It's possible Lane Kiffin to Ole Miss, I'm sorry, Lane Kiffin to Auburn could be the biggest move if it happens, but definitely something to watch and something to watch pretty quickly over the weekend. 
And again, some of those jobs that have been open since midseason will be able to start getting filled if they want sitting head coaches. Those regular seasons will be wrapping up. So that is also something that will start get started after Saturday. Uh, but Chris, let's preview the rest of the coaching carousel, jobs that could still open. Obviously, you mentioned, you know, if Lane makes a move, then Ole Miss is open. So there's always that that domino effect of wherever someone gets hired from. But Give us a quick primer as we head into the final weekend of the regular season about where you are watching for jobs potentially open. Yeah, I don't need to go detail on every job, but but the ones to watch are West Virginia, which at this point everybody in the industry expects it to open because Shane Lyons, the athletic director, was fired last week and then one week later hired back to a job at Alabama to be an assistant AD. West Virginia, Neil Brown, likely to be let go there. Uh, the school said they wanted to hire a new AD first before making that decision. So that may not happen immediately over the weekend, but uh, things are leaning in that direction. Stanford doesn't appear by any sense that David Shaw could get fired, but they just finished or, or they're about like one in eight, I think in PAC 12 play been a terrible season. It's been quite a while. This team has missed a bowl game for several years in a row. Now it's possible. A lot of people believe that, David Shaw could choose to step down on his own, either to some job in the university or just to do media or to do something else. Definitely something to watch uh, in that space. Uh, then uh, Texas State, probably a done deal at this point as well with Jake Spavitt all there. And then there's a bunch that are going to be determined based on what happens this weekend. Talking about Rice, talking about North Texas, talking about UTEP, talking about Memphis, uh, perhaps Tulsa UNLV type of situation. So there, there are a number of ones to watch there. Nicole, I'm curious what 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 jobs that are open right now or could open are you most interested in like what do you want to know yeah i mean i i'm just uh, i'm very interested in you know kind of the direction that some of these hires go like we've wondered about nebraska since it opened as the first job in the cycle curious you know who, who wants that job what type of profile that candidate has the, the way that you just talked about david shaw and stanford is is interesting um you know he's he's been there for so long and he has been kind of an elder statesman in college football. And I am curious about, you know, if, if there is a transition there, really like what is realistic for Stanford football? Like how do they get back to being relevant in the PAC 12 race? And in some of these jobs, you know, do, do expectations change as leagues are getting rid of divisions and, and different things tied to some of these jobs as well. I, I'm curious, Chris, if you've gotten any sense and again, these jobs haven't been filled yet, but you know, sometimes we oscillate between like, Oh, you know, group of five sitting head coach or hotshot, you know, defensive or offensive coordinator, like whatever the trend line ends up being. I mean, there are some really prominent offensive and defensive coordinators. Um, if you think of like Orion Walters, you think of Kenny Dill Dillingham. I mean, like, are, do you anticipate the coordinator trend would be the trend this year? Like, do you have any sense of, you know, what we may be talking about a month from now when we look at, this carousel as a whole we've had a trend of i don't know, call them i don't like the i don't like the term retread but retread hires clay helton to, to georgia southern to jim mora to yukon and that's what i wonder about a place like uab which is considered to be probably the best group of five opening right now and perhaps in the entire cycle because it has facilities, because it has a winning pedigree over the last few years before Bill Clark stepped down in the summer, 
UAB probably had to make her win the conference championship this year for Brian Vincent to, to keep the job. Didn't happen. The names I keep hearing around UAB are uh, Skip Holtz, the former uh, Louisiana Tech ECU head coach who is actually in Birmingham. He just won the USFL with the Birmingham Stallions back in the spring. And uh, Justin Fuente, the former Virginia Tech and um, Memphis coach there. So that's what I'm curious about with, with UAB. Colorado feels like it's it's down to it, it, Colorado's done a big search. They've reached out to a lot of people and kind of cast a wide net. But the names you hear most often around that place are Tom Herman, everybody's friend over at Texas, Bronco Mendenhall, the former BYU Virginia coach, and Deion Sanders. Now, there was a report earlier in this week that he is on that radar. I, I had heard that Colorado at least wanted to make the pitch to him. I don't know if he would take that job over a different one or whatever, but um, that's kind of where things look like at, at, uh, at Colorado. The other job with Dion being tied around is USF, uh, which also has Tom Herman uh, reportedly in the mix as well. That's a job with a lot of potential. You know, they were number two in the country 15 years ago. They just built an indoor facility. It seems like they're going to take football seriously now. You also hear Scott Frost's name kind of around there. Can he recreate what he did at UCF? Uh, as well so lots of drama around lots of coaches it'll it'll get moving pretty quickly over the weekend working on those job profiles and and everything else so that time of year yeah I'm also curious to see I know people have been talking about this as we've talked bigger picture about like the business of college sports and and some of the disparities and the haves and have nots people have talked about the possibility that we would see like group of five head coaches go to become coordinators in the power five especially you know in the sec and the big 10 is they're going to you know, kind of pull away here in terms of revenue from their media rights deals in the future in the next five, 10 years. I'm curious to see if that happens. I'm curious to see what that would look like. We, we've actually seen it already at the athletic director um, level. We, we saw Beth Getz go from Ball State AD to number two at Iowa. So like, I, I do think that that is in the realm of possibilities and that could be some surprise jobs opening up based on that. If, if, if the head coach decides to move on and, and to get back in the power five as a coordinator. That, um, that's the trickle down. It won't happen right away. The, the coordinator changes will come on Sunday. It'll take a few weeks before those get filled. We've seen it. Dan Enos went from central Michigan head coach to Arkansas OC. Todd Mockin went from Southern Miss head coach to the NFL to be an assistant. Jason Candle, the Toledo head coach was almost a Miami offensive coordinator last year. So as the, like you said, the budgets get bigger, it be, you, you can make more money as an assistant coach, in the Big Ten and the SEC, then you can being a head coach. And that is that becomes something that people have to balance. It's happened before, but it's something that may happen a bit more now in the future. And if you're someone like Sean Lewis, who's done a pretty good job at Kent State, but may not be able to do much better because of a ceiling on that place, very smart offensive mind. Does he take a look at maybe an offensive coordinator job, perhaps at Wisconsin, where he used to play? Yeah, we'll probably have lots more on this front to discuss next week when Power Hour returns at its normal time next Thursday off the holiday week. Um, but we want to wrap up this week's edition of Power Hour with our last call, Cheers or Jeers. This is the part of the show where we figure out something that we would cheers to or get a round of drinks to as the bar is closing. It could be something that we are excited about and just kind of want to make sure that we celebrate one last time. It could be something we want to rant and rave about, rant or rave about. Chris, I will let you give us your last call first. The space race in college football continues uh, unabated on Monday. Navy became the latest school to release its 
space uniforms. And these are the most official space uniforms that we've seen uh, because they approved and include the NASA logo on the jersey, on the helmet. This is going to be the uh, the Navy jersey for, for, the, for the Army game. And it's got the moon on it. The helmet's got an astronaut painted on there. It's very, very cool. This continues a trend that we've seen for a number of years. Uh, UCF has tried to call itself Space U because it was it was founded to, to kind of create people to work at the Kennedy Space Center. You've also got Purdue, home to Neil Armstrong and many uh, different astronauts. There's a statue of, of him on campus. You've got Rice had space uniforms this year. They've got, you know, JFK made his space speech right there at, at the stadium. Houston, you know, obviously a big part of uh, space exploration. And then Air Force also had uh, space uniforms this year because the Space Force is apparently part of the Air Force. Yes, we have a new branch of the military. It's apparently a sister of, of the Air Force. And then, but people kept wondering. People around Navy kept saying no. We are the space school. We've produced the most astronauts. We've been doing space since the beginning of this country looking at space. And finally, Navy came out with its space uniforms. I appreciated the uh, sports information director there, Scott Strassmeyer, uh, tweeted that these jerseys were made uh, specifically for me because I'm someone who has uh, uh, enjoyed I've, I've tracked this. I've tracked the space uniforms. I enjoy getting the UCF fans riled up over who owns space and who doesn't. But Navy, Navy entering the space race really changes the game. And it more than ever, more than anything, I think uh, America in total is far ahead of the Soviet Union when it comes to the college football space race. Yes, I have not heard of any Soviet college football programs claiming space. So yep. they're, we're beating them to the moon as well at some point here um, as a college football program. Okay, my last call is going out to Thanksgiving. Now, I know we started the show by talking about side dishes and go-to dishes. I know that our pals Andy and Ari have talked a lot about the food that they're looking forward to this week. But this is this is a superior holiday. This is the best holiday of the year. It is my favorite holiday. There is phenomenal food. I have been very fortunate that my grandmother and my mother have been excellent cooks, and they have passed along a lot of the recipes to me. I have made the turkey and participated. I've made a turkey on my own a couple times now. I have helped out with the monster turkey that we will have at our family gathering. Monster turkey. Well, we're going to have like 36 people. So it's like the biggest possible is it, size. It's going to be one turkey? There's one turkey. And I, I, I don't even know like what the largest sizes typically are. But like they don't. It's larger than the ones where if you just went to your supermarket, you could grab one. Like those are like the normal size okay. ones. And my mom will also probably then get a separate, like just the turkey breast, like a giant piece mm. of like that. Um, but it's large. It takes a little bit longer to cook. Um, but I will help with that. And then I'll do the stuffed artichokes. I'll do the corn souffle, um, probably some green beans, maybe green bean casserole. We have like an artichoke salad or sorry, an artichoke pie. That's really good. So just a little mix of, of everything, but you know, the mashed potatoes, delicious the gravy delicious we we just it's it's like a well-oiled machine it is my favorite holiday on a sentimental note because um you know it's the only holiday for us where both sides of the family all get to come and my parents have always hosted it so we will have 36 people and it's the best i just love it we go around the table we do what we're thankful for and then we get in a food coma play some games hopefully watch the egg bowl 
Um, it is just a lovely holiday. I love that it always overlaps with Feast Week for college basketball. I love that it overlaps with Rivalry Week for college football. Not always, but some and a lot of the rivalry games are this weekend. Um, just a lot of fun. And I, I genuinely hope that everyone listening has a lovely holiday. Hopefully can get to be with family and friends or if you don't want to be around your family and friends that you don't have to be around your family and friends. <laughs> I hope yes. that we get some great games. And um, I just wanted to say that I'm thankful for all of you listening to power hour each week. And uh, Chris and I have really enjoyed doing it. So thank you. We're grateful for you. And I hope everyone has a great time. Power hour will be back next week for Chris Vanini. I'm Nicole Auerbach. We will see you next Thursday and enjoy the Turkey. Mm-hmm.